I want to read the verses again, just the first three verses of Matthew chapter 24. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so the title of today's message I'm going to steal from an old REM song, and the title of the message is The End of the World as We Know It. Well, today we come to one of the most hotly, or two of the most hotly debated chapters in the entirety of the Bible, uh, hotly debated among very, very smart and studious Bible scholars. If you'll notice in verse 3, it said that they were on the Mount of Olives, and so this is referred to as Jesus' Olivet Discourse in, or teaching in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, and it is considered to be a tremendous prophetic passage that Jesus speaks to his disciples regarding the things that are going to happen in the future. Now, it's not surprising that followers of Jesus would be interested in it since much of the Word of God talks about what we refer to as the end times. And the second half of the last century really sparked sort of a revival in the discussion what, what did it? World War II was a big influence on the discussion uh, coming to the forefront again. Israel becoming a nation in 1948. And these two things really began the resurgence of end times interests, followed by the rise of communism. Then there was Y2K, when we were all supposed to fall into the Atlantic Ocean. And then there was 9-11. And, you know... Honestly, it became very, very big business, prophecy conferences. Uh, So those of you who are a little bit older, you've heard of a tape or a CD. And those of you who are younger, you're like, what in the world is that? It's just, you know, save them, get them. They'll be valuable someday. (laughs) And uh, you can sell them as antiques. But all these kinds of conferences and, and tapes and CD packages and stuff like that became very, very popular as people were selling them. Perhaps the most famous of all, many of you have heard of uh, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. They wrote what's called the Left Behind series. To tell you about how influential Left Behind series was, it was 16 books written from 1995 to 2007, and it sold, they sold over 80 million copies of these books. Now, here is the real shocker about the Left Behind series. Only 50% of the purchasers were followers of Jesus. So so 40 million books were, were, were at least bought, I don't know how many were read, were bought by people who did not claim to be followers of Jesus. Now, just think about that for one second. Try to to absorb what that might mean, that that a culture that wants little to do with God goes to religious books for the answers. Now, they they, they like the novel approach instead of reading the Bible, but it does show us how people really do think. Now, sadly, within the last 10 to 15 years, the, the Scriptures focus on the end times, which is a main focus. We'll talk about that today and in the weeks to come. Uh, has really faded. And what's now kind of in the church is how to make your life better today. And that seems to be the real main focus that people are looking for, kind of, kind of living in the moment. And that's, you know, it's tempting for all of us as ever you watch television or you're on the internet or something like that. And a lot of what you see in advertising is how to make your life better today. But the end times focus, interestingly enough, and and this is probably going to really convict a lot of people if you're really, well, I want to be happy today. That's what I want from Jesus. But, you know, the unbelieving culture, the the idea of the end times has not faded. You say, oh, you're kidding me. Well, let me prove it to you. Uh, How many people are worried that 
global warming is going to destroy the earth. That, that is end times thinking. How many people are worried about all the people who have nuclear weapons? I mean, how many times we, can we blow up the world? I mean, it's incredible how many times we can blow up the world. That is end times thinking. That is the end of the world as we know it type, type thinking. How about terrorism? And people are thinking that, you know, if there's, if there's really a terrorist, if your next-door neighbor is a terrorist, don't ask them that this afternoon. But if your next-door neighbor is a, is a terrorist, I mean, what, what, what's that going to mean for the world? And so there's a lot of people who are not followers of Jesus. And if you're here today and you're not one, we're glad that you're here. But there's a lot of people who are not followers of Jesus who are really focused on, on the future of, of, this, of this world. And what I, what I find really interesting is that while almost, and you can't dispute this, while almost the entire world is improving materially, I know it doesn't feel like us to the, in the United States because we're used to such you know, material prosperity, but most of the rest of the world is really improving materially. They are improving educationally. They are really improving with health care all over the world. Yet, deep down, everywhere, even despite these improvements, everywhere, people know something is wrong, that something is not right. And as people discuss these things, as one crisis follows another, those of us who are followers of Jesus, it is so important for us to consider the evangelistic opportunities that this provides for us. We talked about it, if you were in the second service last week, a little bit at the end, instead of just doing the information dump on people, just asking people, you know, what they believe. You're going to have to listen to some things that you might not agree with, what they believe, how they got there, how they got to that belief, find the common ground, and then bring them to the Bible. So if people think that the world is ending, when you hear the angels, you know, in heaven going, ah, right, then you just think, thank you, God, and then bring them to the Bible and say, you know, I agree with you that the world is in trouble. But let me tell you, as a Christian, the hope I have, the Bible tells us to always be ready to give an account for the hope that is within us with meekness and fear, with gentleness and respect, and say, I have great hope, and let me, now that you've shared with me what you think, let me share with you the great hope I have and bring them into the Bible after you've earned the right to speak into their lives. Great evangelistic opportunities. So some people would say, well, this has been going on for a long time. Why didn't it work before? Well, in a lot of ways, it did. Um, in the second half of the last century, in the end times fury, if you will, there was, there was a lot of people who came to Christ because they were expecting the Lord to come back uh, at any moment. We call that the doctrine of eminency and like this eminent return. And it was really, it was really a great thing. Uh, but what about now? Not so much now. Well, one reason is the church is not as focused on it as they were before. Another reason is, and this is, I don't really mean to insult anyone, but if it digs at you a little, then, it, you know, if it's from me, just, you know, just say, what an idiot. But if it's from the Lord, thank him for helping you with, with, to see this. But I think we have to realize that sometimes when we talk about the Lord returning and, and the end of the world and that kind of stuff, we, we assume that people know what we're talking about. And a lot of times people are like, my goodness, did they not take their meds or like, what's, are they drunk? What, what are they on drugs? I mean, what's going on with my neighbor? What's going on with my coworker? What's going on with my kids? And so we have to be very, very careful about the way we talk about this stuff. And we're not using a lot of words that they, that they don't understand. That's why I want us to go slowly through these chapters 
which is today serves as more of an introduction for those of you that are not so familiar with some of these things instead of just teaching my position on it, and this is where I stand, and if you don't agree with Pastor Jim, well, you're a heretic, and, you know, you need to do something else. He'll throw more money in the offering, and I'll let you stay, or, you know, I would never say stuff like that, but, but, but it's important that we understand some different things and, and, and how people in the world don't understand this stuff, how even Christians who are well thought out disagree about such things, and we become charitable in such things and not become arrogant about such things. So we're going to go slowly instead of me just rapid firing through it, using a bunch of words that maybe a third of you understand and the rest of you are going, what is he on about? I don't really understand. So one thing, um, and, and here I have to be blunt. Are you ready? You know, just hold on for a second, some of you. Uh, I think a lot of times people just don't understand our Christianese words. They just don't understand them. They're like, what in the world is you talking about? You know, just, you know, you're talking to your neighbor and you go, well, you know, the rapture's coming any minute. And you walk into your house and they're like, what? Like, don't, you're tell, like, honey, do not talk to those people anymore. Right? You know? And all of a sudden you come out of your house and you see them go running into theirs. And why? Because you told them the rapture's coming every, any minute and they have no idea what it is. Uh, they think like you're the devil or something like that. So we want to be really careful about that. We want to make sure that our, our conversation is not repelling people. We want to be reaching people. And so in, in an age when people know less about these things, we're going to have to slow down. And be more calm. And I know you get nervous when you talk to people, but just really talk to them about people and be willing to meet people where they are and try and build off of of what they give you. Now, why is that important to know? Because when it comes to this thinking, the Bible really does not give us a whole lot of information the way we want it. It gives us a lot of information, but not a whole lot the way we want it. And there's reasons for that. We'll talk about some of those as we go along through the weeks to come. And, and see how I'm trying to get you to come back in the warm weather in summer? Like, um, how manipulative, Pastor Jim. Uh, but, but, but see, as we'll go through that in the weeks to come, we'll, we'll be talking about why we don't get all the information we might necessarily want as Americans. And what happens is when we don't get all the information we want, it becomes very easy for us to over-speculate. It becomes very easy for us to add stuff that is not in there. And we're going to actually see that Jesus is not going to give, do the information dump on the apostles because he hasn't died on the cross and risen from the dead yet. It's, it's, he's going to die in a day or two here where we are now, and he's going to die on the cross. But they're not even ready for it. Later on, the apostles are going to write about it as the stuff begins to unfold, as the Holy Spirit begins to unfold the stuff to them. Also, we don't want to start adding things that aren't there. We have to be very, very careful. And a lot of times in Christianity, we have, we have ended up with egg on our face because every time there's some world catastrophe, you know, someone said to me the other day, not from this church, they said, well, you know, if we go to war with, with Iraq, um, with, with Iran, that, you know, who knows who's going to come alongside them? True. And they said, that could be World War III. True. Oh, gosh, the world is ending. I don't know, <laughs> right? I, I don't know. So, so here we have to be very, very careful about over-speculating. Now, you can have those beliefs among you and your close Christian friends, but be very, very careful about who we talk about such things. Some of us who are older, we're like, oh, we just want the Lord to return. But just imagine, you know, you're, you're, you're 24, you just got married, you're buying a house, you want to have a baby, or you're pregnant. You're like, the Lord's coming back with my baby. Okay, so, so we got to be really careful about who we talk to about these things and how we talk to them about it. So um, let, me, let me just give you an example of something that happened here at the church many, many years ago. Uh, actually, not at the church, but in the complex that we're in. I was out in the parking lot talking to our landlord about Jesus, and all of a sudden, all the people started emptying out of all the buildings. And what had actually happened is we had an earthquake. Some of you remember, I guess like 10, 12 years ago, we had an earthquake up here. And so they're running out going, oh, earthquake, earthquake. And I'm standing there going, you know, every time you try and talk to somebody about Jesus, something happens. <laughs> and so, and so they're, they're running out, and I'm realizing the landlord's car is shaking, and, and so maybe there is a, a, an earthquake. And uh, the next day, 
I get out of my car, and one of the neighbors from one of the uh, surrounding businesses comes running up to my car and, and, and says, um, you know, the Mayan calendar says that the world is going to end on December 21st, 2012. What do you say? And, and I quoted to her Matthew 24, 36, where Jesus says, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So um, what's Jesus saying? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Now, in some ways, I, I, I know this is going to rub more people the wrong way, but that's okay. Date setting misses the point. And, and my, all I can tell you is that we've been wrong for 2,000 years, what makes us think that we're so much smarter than everybody else. Date setting misses the point uh, because prophecy of the future is actually meant to affect our behavior in the present. Did we all hear that? The Lord's return, the, the, the possibility of him returning, especially if you believe that he could return at any moment, I would be in that camp. That is not meant for us to go around speculating dates And we're going to talk about that Wednesday night where some of the Thessalonians thought he was coming back any minute. So they got lazy. They quit their jobs. And everybody had to kind of help them out. So don't quit your job after today. So walk into the boss. Oh, the world's ending. I'm done. I'll see you. Because then we have to take care of you. So so it's really meant for us to, to consider the fact that we want to be ready for the Lord's return and to affect the way that we live today. Because these types of passages are almost, if not always, passages that come with an encouragement in the Lord's return and some sort of a warning to us about the Lord's return. And, and that's, that's easy for us to miss if our focus is on date setting, if our focus is on on, on what future date we can expect the Lord to return. Now, here's something that we have to understand about prophecy in the Bible. Much of the prophecy in the Bible has already been fulfilled. And a big part of that is meant to instill confidence in us. The Lord's not showing off. He's not like, yeah, check me out. It's meant to instill confidence in us that the plans and the purposes of God will be achieved and that we can trust his word. He told us it was going to happen. It happened. The things that have yet to happen, the things that he's told you about your life and my life, we can trust in him that those things are going to come to pass. And so prophecy helps us to expect the Lord's return which is to guide our lives today, guide our priorities today, and give us hope for today and for the future. Because if you're young here, talk to anybody who's older, they will tell you how fast this thing we call life goes. And whether the Lord returns or we meet him in death, it's going to be here before any of us know it. And so the, the outlook we want to have is, in, we, the Apostle Paul said in Titus 2.13, that we are looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of you want no part of Bible prophecy. I want to challenge you in something. Maybe you're only living in this world. Maybe this is it for you. And, and really, you need to focus a little bit more, or a lot more, on what the Lord says about the future. Uh, some of you think, uh, you say, well, it scares me. It scares me. Well, I, I understand when, when they make cheesy movies out of these things and what's going on. And, you know, you're like, wow, all the, all the pilot got raptured. I hope I do, too, or I'll be on that plane that's going down. And, you know, I understand all of that stuff. I don't know how the Lord's going to do all the stuff that he's going to do. But, it, but it, it shouldn't. It shouldn't scare us. It should give us confidence that the Lord is in control. And if we truly believe that the Lord is good, then, then we should have ultimate confidence in what he is doing. You know, there's just different verses that we all just 
really kind of live by and think about. Uh, one of mine is, is Romans 8.18, where the Apostle Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And so we think about the, the future that is to come, and I think about it with great joy and with great anticipation. I'm, I'm fine being here. I want to see as many people become followers of Jesus Christ as possible, and I'm fine with the Lord deciding when the right time is for me to go or for all of us to go. Um, so I always say, you know, I, I have my bags packed. I'm ready to go this afternoon, but I'm also ready to live to be, you know, to a, a ripe old age until the Lord, uh, you know, decides that it's time for me to leave this earth. When it comes to the end times, I love uh, what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4.18. He says, after talking about the Lord coming to take his church, he's going to pull them out of the earth, what we know as the, the rapture of the church. Now, it's a funny thing that people, some people say, well, I don't believe in that stuff. And I'm going, well, you do if you believe the Bible. If you want to debate the timing, that's one thing. But it's in the Bible that the Lord is going to come and take his people out. And he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. So what does that mean? This end times stuff is not meant for us to scare one another. Now, you might want to tell somebody who's not a believer that, you know, you, you need to get right with God. But, but we are meant to comfort one another, that, that the Lord is coming for his people and the Lord is going to take care of his people. So here in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus has left the temple, and the disciples, they're, they're walking out. They're, in the, uh, you know, they're up in the Mount of Olives, and the disciples come to him, and they got, we have a question. Jesus says, okay, let's all get together. Let's talk about it. And he gives them what we might call a basic prophetic overview, a basic prophetic overview. Now, I personally believe this is Jesus' most complete end times teaching but Jesus, as I just said earlier, doesn't include everything because his disciples are, they're just confused. I mean, they don't know what's going on. The town is hot. Half the people love Jesus. The religious leaders want to kill Jesus. The Romans are not liking all of this discontent in society. It's Passover. There's people everywhere. They're confused. They're just not ready for it. I mean, how many times did he have to tell them that he was going to die on the cross and be raised from the dead? And he keeps telling them, and they're like, huh? What's he talking about? What's he talking about? And, it, and again, there's other details that will be filled in by the Holy Spirit as he reveals them to Jesus, to, to the apostle, as Jesus reveals them through the Holy Spirit after he ascends into heaven, particularly in the letters of uh, Paul to the Thessalonians and, and John's book of Revelation. So as we said, these two chapters are two of the most debated chapters in the Bible, and the amount of interpretations is absolutely staggering. They, they'll put them into a, under headings of a bunch of four or five different views, and then there'll be 40 variations. You got time today? Okay, there'll be 40 variations within each different view, and by very, very, very smart people. So, uh, but there are a few things we can be sure of. Loved ones, be sure of the fact that God has a plan. Be sure of the fact that God is going to get his plan right. And, and all, of these, all of these theories and all these variations and all of these Bible scholar positions and stuff like that, they might get it wrong. But I can guarantee you this. God is not going to get the whole thing right and get the end wrong. That is not going to happen. He's going to get it right. And so be very confident in, in that. And, and I think it's fair to say, I know some of you will disagree with me, but Jesus seems more concerned with his followers' perseverance than in the timing of these things. And because and, the reason is that most of the time we don't understand prophecy until it's passed. I mean, you read, you read some of the prophets, you read Isaiah, and then you read Jeremiah, and they're warning the people about about, you know, the Babylonians are coming. You better get it together. They're going to take Jerusalem down. Now, the people are walking around Jerusalem and go, we got the temple, man. We got the presence of God. They're going to come up to the city, man, and God is going to slay them. We know God slays, his, you know, the enemy when they, when they come near God's people. They're like, what's he on about? So now we're reading it, looking in the rearview mirror, going, oh, yeah, that's what they were talking about. So a lot of times prophecy is not clear 
until, until it is already past. And, and so we have to remember that, which shows us still that, that the purpose of prophecy is to encourage us and help us to live faithfully for the Lord. So here the debate in these two chapters depends on a few different things. One is uh, probably the original debate started with this. Is Jesus talking about, now we're at about you know, 30, 33 A.D., uh, most of most scholars think that we got the calendar wrong and Jesus was probably born about 3 or 4 BC and and but we're not going to go back and try and fix all the dates would you like to do that <laughs> so we're not going to go back and, and and fix all that and, and the guys who started originally didn't have it right and so but so we're, let's just say we're at 33 AD or, or or something like that and and a, a lot of people originally said that this was Jesus explaining to the apostles about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., um, and other people would say that it's about the end of the world. Those are the two big camps kind of at the beginning of this debate. And again, there's, these are broad schools of thought with various opinions. Uh, the people who believe that everything happened at 70 A.D. and it was done, and that was the end of the story, uh, for those of you who like these geeky terms, they're called preterists, that's, uh, or preterism is their school of thought. And again, they say that everything was fulfilled in 70 AD. Uh, the other view is called the futurist view, and, and probably more people are in that these days, in which Jesus, what he's talking about is everything is in the future, and they would point to uh, the book of Daniel, particularly chapter 9 and 12. Now, some people would say, oh, the book of Revelation. Well, the preterists use Revelation to make their point as, as well. Now, more recently, more recently, uh, many Bible scholars say that it's about something a little bit different without a clear division. You know, Jesus can talk about and God can talk about more than one thing at the same time. And they call that the, the mediated position. I know some of you are like, come on, what are you talking about? And the rest of you are like, oh, I love this stuff, right? And, and so they, they, they call this the mediated position. And they would teach what we call double reference prophecy or prophetic foreshortening. Now, I've, I've explained this to you before. If you haven't been here, I'll just use an example. Let's say today. Um, you're, you're going to go into Gotham City, I mean New York City. And, and so you're, 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 you're driving down Route 3, and you, you come over the crest over there, right, right around Hilton, uh, Clifton and, and Lyndhurst, and, and you, you, know, you see the city from Clifton from a long distance, and it looks like just one big blob of buildings. And just think of that as that, that's, the, that's the end times. But as you get closer you notice, and when you get in there, that it's not one big blob. It is just building after building after building after building. So that's what the end times is. It looks like one thing from afar, but it is a series of events that that is happening. And so what these people would have this mediated position and believe in double reference prophecy, which means God's talking about more than one thing at the same time, or prophetic foreshortening, it means that, that they're what Jesus is talking about are near events of the future that serve as a partial fulfillment and points to what is actually going to actually happen in the end. So, so there could be a partial fulfillment to give us a picture, and then there will be an actual fulfillment that will be, take place or a complete fulfillment, further fulfillment at the end. Now, um, the positive side of this position, and... Um, I have my own positions, but I always try to look at the positive side because I find that people who are biblically thoughtful only probably disagree on about 5 to 10% of the Bible. That's about it. And almost none of it affects the key elements of the Bible. They're all kind of secondary issues, which, again, it's nice to talk about them, but there's no reason to argue about them with fellow other Christians, with other Christians. While many disagree on some of these things, especially items we'll talk about in the future called the rapture and the, the millennium, they have found a common ground that God was talking about maybe two different things at the same time. Jesus was talking about two different things at the same time. So what about me? Well, I was raised, and when I talk about being raised, I'm talking about being raised as a Christian, so that's from the age of 29, um, on the futurist view. I just, I just was. I became a Christian, 
at a, at a church where um, the, the pastor was actually a board member of Dallas Theological Seminary. And that is the, if you will, that is the, uh, yeah, Dallas is a lot of things. And one of the things is Dallas is, is the place where the futurist position, particularly the, what we call the pre-tribulational uh, uh, you know, school of thought, is really big there. And so, and so I was taught that from an early age. Uh, then I went to a Baptist church that we went to other churches looking for churches. We went to a Baptist church that, that taught the same thing. Then we went to Calvary Chapel. Uh, which is in the same camp. And most different groups of churches have their own uh, defined camps that they stay within, that some are the same, some are different, um, which I think is important, and, but it's okay. I'm fine with it. I know some of you might not be fine with it. I've got friends in different camps, and you know, people have attended the church here for a while, and one was a guy that came here, wrote books about a different position. I'm, I'm very comfortable about it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not threatened by it. Um, Oddly enough, Baptists, which, which get, I think, sometimes a bad rap for being the most rigid, seem to have the widest degree of diversity on, and that they allow within these end times positions. So all I will say is this. Over the years, I have studied the various positions. Um, I have not changed my mind, uh, but I have really come to appreciate the scholarship of the different views, whereas probably earlier in my Christian faith when I was young and super zealous, I would be like, oh, those guys are just, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. And, and I've really come to appreciate the people who have different views. And if you have different views, please, don't, I, I, I would hate the fact that we would divide over such things. So I say all of this to, to say that we are to be charitable towards one another and other Christians who hold different but what I would call orthodox belief on the end times, etc. So you say, what do you mean orthodox beliefs if it's different than mine? Well, I'll, I'll define orthodoxy as terms of the end times as this. All orthodox Christians hold that Jesus Christ is God become a man. That is Christian orthodoxy. They all hold that he lived a perfect life. And he needed to live a perfect life in order to be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. We often say around here, he lived a perfect life in our place, so now the pressure is no longer on us that we have to be perfect. Try our best? Absolutely. With God's help? 100% yes. But the pressure is no longer on us that we have to be perfect. He died on the cross, which for anyone who has put their trust in him, your sins were taken from you and they were put on Jesus on the cross. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, your sins are still on you. And that's a great reason to put your trust in Jesus Christ. You, don't, you, don't, you want to meet God sin-free. And so Jesus Christ took your sins on the cross. Jesus rose from the dead. This is Christian orthodoxy, right? We believe that Jesus rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. Anybody who puts their trust in him will have their sins forgiven and they too will ascend into heaven. They still be with the Lord. And Christian orthodoxy also believes that Jesus Christ will return. All of these views, all of the orthodox views believe in the return of Jesus Christ. None of them omit that. None of them do. It's disagreements on timings and time periods and, and, and stuff like that. And also, they would also agree that Jesus wants us to be ready for his return and to, or to be ready to meet him in death. A couple of verses we'll look at next week, Matthew 24, 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, he's talking to the apostles, take heed that no one deceives you. Jesus does not want you to be deceived. He does not want you to be deceived. Now, so if someone says to you, oh, he's not coming back, that is a deception. That is a deception. He doesn't want you to be deceived. Matthew 24, 6, Jesus says, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for, these for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Did we hear that? There's going to be all these different rumors of things that are going on. And Jesus says the end is not yet. Now, we, we have this old expression back in the day that we don't want to be guilty of newspaper eschatology, which means eschatology is the study of the end times of the last things. We don't want to be reading the newspaper and going, oh, here it is. 
You young people are like, what's a newspaper? Okay, so let's call it internet, <laughs> internet eschatology. We, we don't want to be reading into things that are not yet there. Now, you, it's, I'm not saying you can't think these things, but be careful the company that you share them with because especially if you want to put a date on it because one thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. Matthew 24, 12 through 14, Jesus says, And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Jesus doesn't want you and I, as we are waiting for him, as we are getting increasingly discouraged, losing our hope in the, in the, the, hope, the blessed hope of his return, right? He doesn't want us to what? He doesn't want our love towards him to grow cold. And many people who get too hyped up about date setting and the date comes and the date goes, they think the Bible failed me. No, the Bible didn't fail you. Internet eschatology failed you. Some teacher failed you. God didn't fail you. He doesn't want our love to grow cold. He doesn't want our love to grow cold as life is beating us up as we are waiting for him to return. He wants us to keep looking forward to his return. Verse 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this, is the go- and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to the nations, and then the end will come. Now, of course, there's a debate. What, is the, what does the na- all the nations mean? Does it mean as they knew it, the Roman Empire, or does it mean the entire world? I guess we'll have to talk about that next week. But without convictions that someday you will meet and I will meet the Lord face to face, it will be much harder to be motivated by grace to live for him. And if we're not motivated by grace to live for him, our lives will start to show less and less evidence of grace And the less evidence of grace that our life shows, the more the other guy is going to get in there and start to tell you you are not one of his. I would encourage you to go online or get a copy out in the hallway. You could probably get one or ask the sound guys for one of of the message we did two weeks ago on 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, where the Apostle Paul says that you're suffering and you're hanging in there and being faithful in your suffering is actually evidence to you that in God's mind you are worthy of the kingdom, that you, that you are going to get there. That is the opposite of what a lot of people teach. A lot of us think everything that goes wrong, oh, God's punishing me. No, God is using a lot of these things to give you the confidence to know. If you've gone through a lot of suffering, you've gone through a lot of suffering, and you're still walking with Jesus, guess what? You're probably going to heaven. <laughs> You're probably going to heaven. And so, and so we want to be, make sure that we're really paying close attention to these things because you will, if, if you're not motivated to live for God by the fact that you're going to meet him face-to-face someday and what he's done for you, you are just going to run out of steam. It is going to happen. And when you start to run out of steam and you're going on your own power instead of the Holy Spirit's power, you will become less and less effective in what you want to do for God. It will be harder to press on in a world that is out of control. Is this world out of control? It is out of control. And if we don't have a proper perspective on things, it will be harder to press on in a world that is out of control. You know why? Because you and I will be out of control. And if we're out of control, in a world that's out of control, everything is out of control. And so the study of the end times puts our footing on firm ground in which we are are just relying on and depending upon the promises of God, no matter all the noise that's on around us. All the noise that's on around you go, Lord, you've got a plan. I don't know what it is, man, but I know you got a plan. I know, Lord, if I was at that cross on Friday, man, when you were crucified, I would have been. This is the worst thing, the worst thing that ever could have happened. Oh, but Sundays are coming, right? Like the old preachers used to say, Sundays are coming. And so we want to know that, that we know that, yes, that looked like the worst possible thing. But he rose from the dead, and that is true faith. So we have to have a, have a 
maintain a good balance, a proper perspective on the end times, but not such an obsession with it. That's what we're going to talk about this Wednesday in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, that not have such an obsession with it that it takes us out of kingdom work. And so these two chapters have a lot of interesting stuff. But to me, as much as I love to talk about this stuff, the, the most interesting thing to me is the preparation from Jesus. I mean, these two chapters are like having Jesus come to your house and be your own coach on how to just be prepared for life, how to be prepared for disasters, how to be prepared for an uncertain future, as Jesus is going to teach us so many different things. And over the years, sadly, I have seen so many people lose hope and lose their faith simply because they were not prepared by Jesus. And when the difficulty came, instead of being a confirmation of faith, became something that took them out of the faith. So instead of biblical prophecy sharpening their perspective on life, it became to them like an imaginary novel. Like, oh, and that's the way we sound to a lot of people, the way we talk about it. Like, oh, you know, they read the Left Behind books, right? And so, and so we want to make sure that we're talking to people with our feet firmly planted on the ground. And, and you know, it was an interesting thing yesterday. Um, I was in a question and answer panel, and um, it was terrible because my own pastor was on it. And, and, and now I know how the guys in this church feel when I'm sitting in the audience <laughs> when they're preaching. They're like, can you leave, Jim? <laughs> so so I, was, I was on the panel. And when we were done, my, my pastor said a very kind thing to me. He said, you have such a unique gift for taking in-depth theology and making it so practical and so simple. And, and if that's true, that's what I want to do for you in these two chapters. I'm, I'm perfectly fine with you having a different opinion or a different thought on, on, the, uh, on the end times. I promise not to gloat we're in heaven that I was right and you were wrong. Uh, but, 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 but really just to, for us to, to be able to be firmly planted in the promise that God has a plan and it will come to pass and probably every theology school of thought on this is wrong in some different area. And I don't want us to be people who are unprepared. You see, when, when, you're, when you're thinking of it as sort of just this imaginary thing and your feet aren't firmly planted or you skip prophecy in its entirety, it is so easy to miss the fortification that God wants to build in your soul on his promises and his plans and his future for his people. And I really believe that's what he wants us to see more than anything. You know, we want all of the, every, every little detail, every little duck in a row. And God, there's a point in time in our lives when God has to say to us, listen, man, this is about faith. If I can't, I'm, I'm not going to give you every single little thing that you want to know. There's going to be some things that are obvious. We talked about them last Wednesday, if you were here or you listened online. about the, when this, Listen, when this dude stands up in the temple and goes, I'm God, and he's not, okay, get ready. <laughs> if you're here, put your seatbelts on, because it's going to get ugly, and it's going to get ugly quick. So remember that Jesus said, take heed that no one deceives you. You see, prophecy reminds us that there is great deception in this world. And we live in a culture, while I know people want to say that we're a Christian nation, but we live in a, in a, in a culture where even the church is incredible uh, deception. You say, what, what, what are you talking about? What do you mean the church is in deception? You know, a lot of people believe that God will not judge. But the scripture clearly teaches that he will. Clearly. People are preaching gospels without repentance. Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the gospel. The apostles preached, repent, turn to God and believe, trust the gospel that Jesus died for your sins. But now what is it? Come to Jesus for a better life. And then people come to Jesus for a better life and their life doesn't get better. It gets worse. And then they quit. Why? Well, they were taught a false gospel. That's why. That's why. We have to go after those people, guys. That's why we do stuff like, you know, we have dinners in the summer and, and, and we do a lot of the stuff that we, we've got to go after people like that. If that's you, I'm glad that you're here today. You know, a lot of church people, 
they, 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 they say, well, you know, we don't believe that God would judge. I'm like, well, do you ever read the Bible? Well, is it really loving to tell people that God judges? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It might be uncomfortable. It might make you look like a weirdo, but there's plenty of people running around claiming to be Christians who do not believe such things. Now, let's just be, let's get one thing out of the way and we'll be done with this real quick point. (laughs) We don't judge people the way they look. That's not what we're talking about. We don't judge people the way they dress or other silly, unbiblical, unloving things. If you're like, I don't like a church like that, amen. I'm in the front row with you. Amen, brother, right? And that stuff's got to go. But a church or a pastor that ignores the righteous judgment of God is not a true church and not a true pastor. Old Testament, Isaiah 59.2. But your iniquities, your sins, have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Another version says he will not listen. You go, oh, that's Old Testament. I'm a New Testament guy. Okay, Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. So how does sin pay? Terrible. Any of you have a job where you think the pay is lousy? Sin pays worse. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, heaven, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I'm not saying when it comes to judgment, we should be mean. Our message is one of hope and compassion. But I really believe some of us need to deliver that message with a bit more urgency. If we don't deliver a complete message, it's half a message. It's half a gospel, which is no gospel at all. And we have to remember, loved ones, eternity is at stake. This is not a club. The minute this becomes a club, I don't know about you, I'm done. I, I know <laughs> people are like, you could sleep late on Sunday mornings. I'm like, I know, I know. This is, this is not a club. Eternity is at stake. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you can escape the judgment of your sins and your unbelief simply, simply by admitting that you've been walking in the opposite direction of God living with your back to him, turning to him, looking up at the cross, being willing to forsake those sins. Not perfectly, it's going to be a struggle for some of the things, I get it. But looking up at the cross and seeing Jesus dying on the cross in your place for your sins and saying, I am not a good person. And I no longer am going to tout myself as a good person. I'm going to put my trust in Jesus Christ and him alone to get me to heaven. And that's how you get there. That's orthodox Christianity. That is not some speculation. That's on every page of the book we know as the Bible. But prophecy also reminds followers of Jesus there is a a judgment for us too, but it is rewards for what we have done for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now that he's writing to Christians. And so prophecy reminds us that Jesus Christ will have a reward for the things that we do for him, for our service to do him, including our motivations in which we did them, for which we did them, and the heart which we did them with. Notice I didn't say for the results. I didn't say for the results. That's God's department. That's God's deal. Our department is what? Attitude and effort. Remember A&E, not arts and entertainment? Attitude and effort. That is what God is looking for us for. People who are motivated to serve God simply out of our love for our king. These are just a few of the reasons we study prophecy. You know, the early church was persecuted by the Roman Empire. Big time, big time. Caesar was going around telling everybody he was Lord. They were going around telling everybody Jesus is Lord. Guess what? They catch you saying that, off with your head. That's it. You could die unless you recanted. Well, they had a word, and you may feel like you're being persecuted right now, or nothing is going right for you right now, 
or your health is bad, you don't have any money, every, every, what, everything's falling apart, right? You know the old expression, if you didn't have bad luck, you'd have no luck. I mean, it's just everything is, everything is just going horrible. You know, I was, I was with the guys I was with the panel with, and one of them I was with at a recent pastor's conference, and he just grabbed a hold of me, and he said, and he just said, you got to pray for this, brother. This guy's having some year, man. And he pointed to me, and he said, but he's not giving up. And we got, we got to pray for him. You, that may be you. That may be you. Well, they had a word. It's an Aramaic word that I want to leave everybody with today. And it is the word Maranatha. Maranatha. It's a beautiful word. It sounds beautiful, doesn't it? Maranatha. Like it makes you feel better just saying it. What does it mean? The Lord is coming. Or, or come, O Lord. Maranatha reminds us that the Lord is coming any day and to be ready. If you're here today, my friend, and you're losing your hope, Maranatha. If you're losing your faith, Maranatha. If you need more faith or you need more hope or you need more encouragement or you need more joy, Maranatha. I want to end with the Apostle Paul's encouraging word for all followers of Jesus and a command for us too. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, he, he tells us the command in chapter 5 and the same one in chapter, in chapter 4 and then in chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 9 through 11. For God did not appoint us to wrath. No amen? I got to preach in a different kind of church. <laughs> God did not appoint us to wrath. But, or instead, to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not through what we do, through what he did. Who died for us, or instead of us, in our place, that whether we wake or sleep, whether we're awake or we die, we should live together with him. And then he gives us the command, Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. Loved ones, my word for you today is Maranatha. The Lord Jesus is coming. And when you leave this place today, find someone in the hallway, in the cafe, in the parking lot, and put a big smile on your face and say, Maranatha, the Lord is coming. Well, let's stand and pray.